This is Trice Talk mini pod for Monday morning. Jeez, I did it again. <laughs> it's Tuesday morning, April the 6th, I believe. <laughs> the pre dawn edition of mini pod. It's a little after 12 30 in the morning, so it's a little bit earlier than some of mine. Uh, anyway, I appreciate you joining me for this uh, another episode of mini pod. Uh, I tried another little theme song this morning coming into this one. It's something I haven't uh, tried before. It's uh, called a kick, maybe. So I thought, well, maybe that'll kind of kick off the uh, the episode for me there. But um, anyway, that's that's something new. I have to play with the music every once in a while, try to find something different. Um, anyway, tonight... I'm going to talk about, um, well, I'm going to read actually from an article by a gentleman named Max Eden, who is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. And I actually, yes, I found him going through Mike Huckabee's evening edition uh, newsletter. It's just, like I say, you go look at these Mike Huckabee uh, newsletters and then he'll give you usually a short description uh, of a subject and then he'll include links to original articles so you can go in and read the whole thing by the original author. So uh, tonight, instead of reading anything from Mike Huckabee's column, which is very short about this particular subject, I'm going to go ahead and go straight to uh, the Max Eden article. And um, now this article was published um, actually, it's from last September the 18th. So keep that in mind when when maybe there's some references in here. Uh, it will not be current. It's from last September. But I'm using it because the article itself is kind of gives you some background and, and some description about some of the crazy things that are going on uh, with this cr- critical race theory stuff that's uh, sweeping the country right now. And it also gives you some insight to uh, what's happening in some of the school districts. I mean, the other night we talked about, on I think it was two mini pods ago, maybe Friday night session where we talked about um, California school board that just approved uh, some critical race theory uh, curriculum for their schools, all of the schools in California. 
Um, and at the time, you know, the governor has not had not signed it yet. So, and I don't have an update on that. I don't know if that's been signed by the governor, but it's hard to believe that he wouldn't, uh, unless he's worried about the recall effort out there in California. But anyway, this, like I said, this article was, uh, published last September the 18th at a time when critical race theory training was being exposed. It was just, in, in my opinion, it was just starting to become an issue um, in mainstream, well, uh, let's say conservative media outlets. I think many people thought it was something new because they didn't hear that much about it. And, and the fact that it was beginning to emerge because of all the racial conflicts and issues that we had last year stemming, uh, you know, from the riots and the riots, of course, were uh, as a result of, of police shootings last year. But in fact, it had been going on for some time. Uh, critical race theory, when you, when you listen to this article, and if you decide you want to download and, and look at the whole thing yourself, you'll realize that this had to be going on for a long time. It just didn't pop up and people had all this organized effort for critical race theory. It's something that's been in, been in the works for many, many years. Um, we just, you know, probably weren't paying as much attention as we should. And I've talked about this before. I know that when my youngest was in school, uh, he's long out of school now, but when he was in school, I, you know, occasionally, especially when you get to the high school age, you know, there wasn't a lot of times where any questions were asked where I had to help with any homework. So I, I, I did not know what was in the textbooks that he was using. And I look back now and wish that I had, although I don't, none of this stuff that's going on today was really uh, evident back at that time when he was in high school. But um, it, it really is something that, you know, I encourage parents to do is, is be involved. If you have kids, especially young kids as well um, in school, that you need to pay attention to what they're learning in school, especially what kind of uh, textbooks that they're using, especially if it's, again, if it's, some kind of history subject or, or, or whatever. Um, it, you just need to pay attention. All right, so this article goes on to, um, it, it reads like this. And again, this is Max Eden, which is a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute. Two weeks ago, President Trump issued an executive order to root out critical race theory trainings from federal government agencies. And maybe some of y'all may remember that. I remember him talking about that uh, last fall um, very strongly. So Russell Vought, director of the Office of Management and Budget, explained that these types of trainings not only run counter to the fundamental beliefs for which our nation has stood since its inception, but they also engender division and resentment within the federal workforce. So what, what they were talking about last fall was basically these programs uh, occurring um, in, in federal offices and federal districts. And of course, just this year, we, we heard that the, the new uh, Secretary of Defense was mandating that uh, racial sensitive training was uh, 
had to be done in the military. All right, so he goes on to say, the City Journal contributing editor, Christopher Rufo, through his investigative journalism, brought this issue to the attention of the Trump administration. Working with whistleblowers, Rufo documented that NASA spent half a million dollars on power and privileged sexual education workshops that the FBI was holding weekly intersectionally workshops and that Sandia National Laboratories, which designs America's nuclear weapons, held a three-day re-education camp to deconstruct white male culture. Now, this is a, this is a company that is responsible for uh, basically making some very serious weapons for our country. And they're holding these workshops to retrain these people about white male culture. I mean, this is what they're going to focus on, uh, making nuclear weapons. And we're paying for them as taxpayers. Anyway, Sandia sent its white male executives to the La Posada Luxury Resort Resort to undergo a mandatory training called White Men's Caucus on Eliminating Racism, Sexism, and Homophobia in Organizations. Golly, what's the acronym for that? So this this next little bit is actually a description uh, that Rufio uh, has in his report that he made uh, on that on those training sessions uh, that Sandia participated in. So this is Rufio talking now. In describing the training that went on in those training sessions, workshops, if you will, Rufio reports that in the opening thought work session, the trainers demanded that the men make a list of associations about white male culture. The trainers write white supremacist, KKK, Aryan nation, MAGA hats, privileged, and mass killings. The trainers insist that white males must work hard to understand their white privilege, their male privilege, and heterosexual privilege. They claim that white men benefit from positive stereotypes that far outweigh the Timothy McVeigh's and the Ted Kaczynski's of white maleness. Now, it's, it's surprising to me, and maybe it, maybe it's intentional. I'm, I'm, I'm stepping away from this article for a second. It's surprising that they use these two men uh, as examples of white stereotypes or white maleness. I mean, come on. Timothy McVeigh, if you, you may or may not remember or may or may not know, but he was, I believe, the, the person who led, uh, oh gosh, I wanted to say the um, the Branch Davidian cult that was down in Waco. I'm actually, you know, I thought that was what was on my mind, but now I'm not quite sure, but I think that's who that is. Uh, Ted Kaczynski, I know, was the Unabomber uh, along in the same time period, somewhere in there within four or five years of each other. But to use those two guys who uh, 
were responsible for the deaths of a lot of people as examples of white maleness. Now, maybe there is uh, a rhyme to that madness, why they use these two guys. All right, going back to the article uh, from Rufio, or the report from Rufio. Rufio, I say that a lot because of, uh, uh, of uh, Peter Pan. Rufo. Next, the white male employees must expose the roots of white male culture, which consists, now get this, rugged individualism, a can-do attitude, hard work, and striving towards success, which sounds good, but are in fact devastating to women and POCs, or people of color. I, you know, I've been around a long time and that's the first time I've really heard anybody uh, put a negative connotation to striving towards success or hard work uh, or a can-do attitude. Now, the rugged individualism, you know, that, I don't know. Uh, to me, I wouldn't put that in there with these other three, but it's in there and and it's definitely according to that uh, training session those are negatives imagine that hard work is a negative okay so the article goes on in fact the trainers claim that white male culture leads to lowered quality of life at work and home reduced life expectancy or maybe it's all the hard work uh, unproductive relationships and high stress. Uh, you know, sometimes success can be stressful. It also forces this white male standard on women and minorities. So, so, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to beat this to death here for a minute, but so it's saying that those, those white male qualities that they're saying are white male qualities. Um, or male culture, white male culture, those things makes, uh, it, it gets forced onto women and minorities. Uh, you know, so why is it forced on them? Because so they can compete or keep up or what? I'm, I'm not quite sure. And why does the, that standard have to be for everybody? Um, as far as being forced, you know, I mean, <laughs> life is a competition in many respects. Competition sometimes causes things to be forced upon you. But anyway, I'll go back to the article. In a subsequent session, the white males must publicly recite a series of white privilege statements and male privilege statements. They must accept their complicity in the white male system and their role in creating oppressions. Really? I would have loved to have been in one of those sessions. Of course, I can tell you now, I would have lost my job. Finally, as the re-education camp concludes, the white males must write letters directed to white women and people of color and other groups regarding the meaning of this cautious cautious, 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 that's, that's what it says, experience. 
They apologize for their privilege and pledge to become better allies. I, you know, I could probably spend an hour dissecting that last paragraph alone. But uh, like I said, I, I would have been fired. That would have been my last day. I don't know that I would have. This is a three-day training seminar. I doubt seriously if I would have made it through the first day. Who is leading the struggle session? So who's the group that, uh, who's the company that put this training session on? And it is a company called White Men as Full Diversity Partners. This is no joke. Their company is literally called White Men as Full Diversity Partners. And they specialize in confronting those who typically hold all the power, namely white males. Now, I find that statement very interesting. Um, because, again, I've been around a long time, worked for a lot of different companies in my careers. And I'll tell you, in the particular business that I was in, um, even though the very top echelon of the company typically was was white males, if you will, um, a lot of the executives, uh, especially ones that I reported to, were all women. All women. Anyway, that's that's all that uh, came out of that report with Rufio, or at least that's all that's being shared um, by um, uh, Max Eden, I'm sorry. So that's all that Max Eden shared of that particular article by Rufo. So now we're back to Max Eden, Eden uh, writing. And it says, canceling these conferences and workshops and seminars is an overdue and salutary step. But a more formidable task lies ahead, rooting out identity politics propaganda from America's public schools. So, yeah, these things are happening in companies, but they're happening to adults. And you would hope that many adults would be able to decide for themselves where they are and, and what their issues are in life and whether or not that they've done things uh, that fit the uh, criteria that these people are forcing upon you in these seminars. I mean, it wouldn't take me just a matter of seconds to say that's not me but Max is saying um, the biggest problem here is really in American schools so critical race theory was largely pioneered in US schools of education a generation of teachers has been trained in its toxic assumptions then after the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis last May a host of major education trade associations publicly vowed to imprint this ideology onto the next generation. Parents may wonder how our public schools became propaganda mills. The answer, to paraphrase Hemingway, is two ways. Gradually, then suddenly. So they kind of eased in and then they stepped on the gas. Exposing the problem is the easiest part. 
Some school districts have become proud indoctrination factories. Take just one example featured yesterday on Tucker Carlson's show, the Buffalo Public Schools, or BPS, Black Lives Matter curriculum. Now, this is the curriculum adopted by uh, the Buffalo Public Schools, according to uh, this author. The curriculum takes a starting point that the purpose of American public education is to recruit students into the Black Lives Movement, or Black Lives Matter movement, I'm sorry. The first lesson plan for BPS's first day at school sequence for second, third, and fourth graders ask the essential question, what is the Black Lives Movement and what is our role in it? The second lesson entitled, Do Black Lives Matter in America? states as its objective that students will be able to understand the need for the Black Lives Matter movement. So they're going to tell tell the students what it is. These are second, third, and fourth graders now. So they're going to tell them what it is, and then they're going to explain to why it's needed in this country at this time. So there's there's a number of things. I'm not going to use use the same structure he did for all that. I'm just going to hit some of the high points that he says that is going on in these public uh, Buffalo public schools in this curriculum that they've adopted. Uh, so the Buff- Buffalo Public Schools tell fifth grade students, we are committed to disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. How many times did you hear that last year? There are people speaking against the nuclear family structure, which if really, if you paid attention to a lot of the uh, socialist warnings that were going around last year when, when it was election time and and people, you know, conservatives and Republicans were trying to get uh, everyone to understand that a lot of the policies that, that the candidates uh, before they settled on Joe Biden was, was uh, they were downplaying the role of um, families in, in America and the need for the family structure, almost to the point of saying that family structures were racist. Anyway, so um, that's what Buffalo Public Schools is telling fifth graders. We are committed to disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. The next thing is at the end of that lesson, students are asked, these fifth graders, what do you think about our society being organized into separate nuclear family units? So basically you're asking them, what do they think about families? What do you, what do you think about families? Mother, father, daughter, uh, uh, brother, sister, aunt, uncle. I mean, is that, is that what you're asking these kids at that early of an age? I would hope most of them, uh, really love their family units. But as we all know, there are some some children in this country uh, that do not grow up in the greatest of families. And, and maybe those are the ones that are most vulnerable to these kinds of teachings. People who didn't have a strong family unit of a mother and father at home 
and uh, brothers and sisters uh, who helped, older brothers and sisters who helped set ex good examples for them. After second graders read The Rooster Who Would Not Be Quiet, they are di directed to write pledge cards vowing to speak up when they see injustice and then scripted to discuss Colin Kaepernick who refused to be silent about discrimination against black people. Now I'm serious, this is second graders and, and they're making them, they're, part of the lesson is to discuss Colin Kaepernick. I mean, I, I got a little bit excited when I was reading this, this damn thing earlier, I, I can tell you. Um, so I'm, I'm trying, I've, I've calmed this way down from my uh, original feelings when I was reading this thing a, a couple of hours ago. But um, by the way, there's also a link. If, if I can get you to this article, I'll tell you, I'll give you some information at the end of the uh, episode and tell you how to um, get to this. But throughout this article, um, there's a number of links that, each time it brings up something, you can click on this link and then it'll actually, you can actually go and see these worksheets, these, uh, these school planning. It's a PDF file that shows the school plan and the worksheet for that particular lesson. And it has Colin Kaepernick's name on there. And then it, it tells you, you know, tells you like it's an exercise. I mean, it's, it's, you, you really, you almost think that you're looking at an education curriculum for a foreign country when you read some of these things. All right, so another lesson objective for fifth and sixth grade students includes identity misconceptions about Christopher Columbus and explain why the U.S. should celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day. So we've all heard probably the stories about Christopher Columbus and why, uh, you know, uh, a lot of the statues were torn down during last year's writing because they uh, use that as an excuse, uh, you know, because of Christopher Columbus reported treatment of indigenous people when he came to America. Seventh and eighth grade students receive a lesson titled, Think About It, George Washington, The Beginnings of 273 Years of Hypocrisy in America. That's a lesson for seventh and eighth grade students. Now, can you believe that somebody has the gall to put that in, into a lesson plan for American kids? Also, um, part of this curriculum, high school students learn about confronting whiteness in our classrooms with lessons on white privilege taken from the Southern Poverty Law Center and are guided through units of the New York Times 1619 project. So they're actually teaching them uh, segments of that 1619 project. Uh, where are the parents? Is this what you send your kids to school to learn every day? I mean, we, we thought, 
you know, it's, it's supposed to be the things, the skills, uh, the knowledge that will help them either move on to college or move out into the workplace and, and, and lead productive and, and, uh, you know, uh, useful lives, if you will. But now we're, it's almost like the, the important stuff like math and, and English and, uh, you know, history has its place, uh, and all the other courses that are necessary in order to go on to college and depending on what field you're going into. But now we've, we've got to cram some time in there to socially re-engineer them as well. Cause we can't have them smart and then be, be, uh, racist or white supremacist or white privileged, assuming, I, I guess this is all targeting white kids, I would imagine. Although I'm sure, you know, uh, it's also, you know, <laughs> good, good for all the students in the room. And this is just one school district. That's not in California. I mean, based on what I, I the article I was doing the other night, almost we we're kind of numb to anything like this, you know, appearing in California, but when it starts, uh, you know, cropping up in other places across the country, um, it, it's kind of surprising. And, and Buffalo, I, 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 I have no idea what, what's on their mind in Buffalo. How in the world did, did, uh, they take over Buffalo and why? So he kind of finishes out the article with saying it will be up to parents to watch closely what their children are being taught and to petition their school board when schools cross the line between education and indoctrination. Unfortunately, to the extent that school administrators have generally absorbed critical race ideology, they will dismiss objections to their anti-racist curriculum as motivated by racism. Of course they will. We may soon reach a point where parents who want their children to grow up to be well-informed and open-minded citizens may have little choice but to withdraw them from American public schools. And what a shame that would be. Of course, arguments have been going on for a number of years now about charter schools. And then a lot of people have chosen to do homeschool. Uh, even 15, 20 years ago, I knew people that were homeschooling their kids because they were concerned about the things they were learning in public schools or the environment they were thrust into sometimes. Um, at one time, I knew a lot of teachers uh, that, that taught in, um, in, in my county that I live in here in Georgia. And you would be amazed at some of the stories that they would tell me about what they have to put up with, especially in some of the depressed areas, um, you know, where the students uh, basically don't come from uh, high income families. And um, it's just a different world and, and much more of a challenge for a lot of these teachers. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not surprising that maybe we gone to sleep at the wheel 
with some of these things. Although, uh, again, there's been many of us who wised up to it years ago, and that's why they decided to homeschool their kids or, um, you know, put them in charter schools or private schools if they had the money. So because of time constraints, I had to omit some of the lines of, of those two articles, but I, I think I included enough of the stuff that you get a picture of what's occurring in many school districts across the country. And that's, that's just getting started. I'm sure as, uh, if this continues down the same road, it's going on now and, uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats continue to try to transform our country that we're going to be hearing more and more of these stories. And, you know, um, certainly one could argue, especially with history, um, history books of old may not have dealt with certain facets of our history as, as honestly as maybe they could have or should have. Um, I, I know back when I was in school, um, high school, you know, they didn't spend a lot of time on history books. They spent more time uh, trying to educate you, get you to memorize dates and just basically touch base. I mean, some of the world history uh, stories got rather long, but American history, you know, once you got past the American Revolution um, and got in, you know, it was pretty quick lessons about different facets and and industrial revolution and all the different things that happened in this country to, to turn us into what we were. Uh, and most of it was, you know, kind of stayed away from especially race issues and really didn't deal with race issues that much as far as the civil war is concerned. So, you know, there's probably some things that should have been taught even back as far as when I was in school that could have been a little bit more honest, but, uh, you know, People, uh, you know, they just honestly didn't probably put as much thought into those things back at that time as they do today. And um, they probably should have spent more time being a little bit more honest about some of our history. Uh, so uh, several generations would grow up realizing that this was a bad time in our history and this shouldn't have happened but we need to learn from it. And that's the reason that you teach history is not only to hear about the good things that happened, but also to learn about the mistakes that were made. But to turn this completely around and say, basically, if you look at some of this curriculum that, that's being taught in some of these schools, they're basically trying to erase America and start over. And there's no good outcome of that. They may think that that's something that they want, but I got I got news for them, and, and uh, it's it's not going to turn out the way that they think it will. You know, I, I wouldn't object to schools offering some in-depth courses addressing America's failures, and um, as as long as they're not approached in the manner in which some of these things that I've read about this critical race theory. Um, but under no circumstances in my mind should any of this critical race theory be mandatory. The schools really have no business teaching that. But if, if, 
if there's a need for it in the school, it should certainly be uh, something that is voluntary that that uh, that kids can choose as an elective, and therefore their parents be involved in those decisions about whether or not they want their kids to be involved in those kinds of classes. But still, they don't need to be as extreme as some of the stuff that I've uh, been explaining to you tonight in this article. After all, you know, the parents have a right to decide what issues need to be addressed. Uh, and, and unfortunately, some are better at actually being honest and and being, um, you know, uh, making sure that their kids have a well-rounded um, knowledge of life and, and how you deal with people and what's fair. But um, it's not the government's job. And certainly it's not the government's job to take these kids away from their parents and not give the parents any kind of decision uh, making ability in, in what they are, are taught in school. Of course, that means uh, the government's not going to really make that available to you uh, voluntarily because they're obviously in this mode as we know better and since you your parents are doing a bad job of teaching kids these things we're going to take it over um, and maybe that's why they're pushing this uh, this family unit thing being such a bad thing it's almost like they want the children in, in this country to be uh, wards of the government you know as far as their education is concerned you know, we'll teach them what they need to know. We'll teach them the value systems they need to know. All you got to do is, is uh, <laughs> you, you got to bring them into the world. You got to clothe them and, and feed them and give them a place to sleep at night. And we'll do the rest. You know, screw the government if that is their plan. That's not going to work. And I got a feeling not that many parents are going to allow that to happen once they start realizing what's going on in the schools. All right. So that's going to do it for this episode. Um, I appreciate you spending time with me again. And uh, don't forget that, let's see, tonight, since it is Tuesday, uh, tonight is um, Tristalk Live with myself and Dennis Lee and Eric Kirk. We'll be on Podbeam at uh, 11 p.m. Eastern time tonight, and we will be talking politics as we always do on a Tuesday night. I thank you again for joining me, and um, I'm going to step out of here now, and, and I hope I see some of you this evening. Stay safe, everybody. Thank you.